Will you please make your way with me in your Bibles once again to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 6, where we are going to be considering together verses 14 through 29. That's Mark, chapter 6, 14 through 29. You can find that passage on page 986 in your few Bibles. Let me just, as a bit of housekeeping here, uh, tell everyone that I promise I'm not mad at anyone. I just took way too much sun yesterday, and my face is really red. So if I seem extra intense today, I just couldn't get away from the sun. Max had a baseball game yesterday, and I took the brunt. So Mark 6, 14 through 29. Let me just remind you quickly of where we're at here in, in Mark's gospel account, because it's been a few weeks now since we looked together at this sixth chapter. You will remember that we had begun to discuss the fact that with the arrival of the kingdom of God in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see things here in Mark very quickly progressing or advancing. Sixth chapter of Mark's gospel deals primarily with the movement of the kingdom of God. The kingdom has indeed arrived. Mark has shown us now that the proof of that fact, the arrival of that kingdom, was beginning to abound. He has shown us that the forerunner, John the Baptist, had indeed come heralding both the arrival of the kingdom and its great king. Mark has also allowed for us to become witnesses with him of Jesus' triumph in the wilderness in the face of Satan's temptation. Sick, we're now being healed. Demons, long left, un, long left alone, were beginning to be dealt with and to be cast out in a way. So we saw the beginnings of that movement, that progression of the kingdom of God. And it gained more steam. So we saw that Jesus then commissioned the 12 disciples to go out for, from him and to do themselves some of that kingdom work. Came back reporting that indeed demons were being cast out, sicknesses were again being healed. The kingdom of God is pressing forward to the glory of his name. Jesus has come as the restorer of broken things to undo some of the harm, to ease some of the suffering that the curse has caused. As we look together at this truth, there were certainly things that we learned about and through the revelation of this movement of the king and the kingdom alike. The disciples were sent out not in order to establish their own little kingdoms, but to serve, to solidify God's kingdom. And they do that not just through the healing of the sick, but dealing with demons. They accomplished that work primarily through spreading the message of the kingdom of God. And they do. King Jesus has come to save his sheep. He has come to purchase their freedom. He has come to put an end to their bondage, their slavery to sin and to death. The king has come. He has come to set things right. 
the message was now to run to King Jesus for life. Run to him for peace. Be comforted in him and in him alone. There is certainly joy in living in and for this king and his kingdom. The message, beloved, is the gospel. And as it is faithfully proclaimed, the kingdom of God advances. It progresses. It builds up and it grows to the glory of God. We've also been reminded of what we ourselves need to do in order to do this work effectively. How are we to live in service of this king and his kingdom? We need to be in utter reliance upon the king for everything. Mark tells us that Jesus commanded his disciples to take nothing for their journey except a staff. And by staff, I don't mean a retinue of people, a walking stick. They were to take no bag, no bread, no money, just the clothing that they had on, the sandals on their feet, the staff. That was it. Everything they needed would be ordained beforehand and fully supplied by the king. He would give them the message. He would give them the audience. And he would bring forth the fruit of his sheep running to him in droves. King Jesus would bring salvation to his people. He would also bring judgment. One would find life itself in the very words of the gospel, while another was driven even further away, pushed even deeper into more and more condemnation. The gospel would go forth and do the work of the kingdom. And as this kingdom progresses, some will be brought to the salvation of their souls, while others would run away to the condemnation of their own. There's something beautiful here in that the disciples were not ultimately responsible for that work. They were to be entirely dependent upon God for all that was needed, as they themselves learned to be instruments, to be tools in the Redeemer's hands. We also saw that God did not leave them alone. He did not leave them in isolation from one another for this work. He's not calling upon them to be lone rangers seeking the advancement of their own spiritual identities. He mercifully sent them out for this work in twos, in pairs. This is kingdom work. And by the grace of God, none of us are called to go it alone. He has made us a community, a body of believers. And beloved, we must see that it is his grace to us that he has done so. Truth is, we need one another. We spoke of it in Sunday school this morning. We were created to need one another. And so he calls us graciously into service together. Finally, we spoke of the weightiness that is clearly involved in this work. 
can see very clearly here in Mark that it's a matter of life and death. We do not have to carry the burden of changing hearts through our own strength or even through our own polished eloquence. We are simply to speak the truth of the glorious gospel and witness Almighty God changing the hearts of those who He calls to hear. God calls His people. And God simultaneously announces judgment. We are simply called to take the light into the darkness and to learn to wholeheartedly trust that God alone will brighten things up. That's life in the kingdom of life. And I trust that you can see the glory of it. This is kingdom life. Life without fear. Life without worry. Life lived in utter dependence upon the great king of kings to do all that we could ever need. And I hope you're getting a taste of it. There really is comfort and rest and joy in this kingdom. And of course, we know there is joy in Jesus Christ. For we who belong not to ourselves, but entirely to him, there is peace, true and lasting peace for eternity. Peace that begins right now. However, as we will see in just a moment, that peace certainly does not belong to everyone. As this kingdom progresses to the glory of God, we begin in this text that's before us this morning to see what I would call a collision of sorts. This kingdom, that is God's kingdom, collides with another kingdom, the kingdom of this world, kingdom of darkness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it should be tremendously comforting for us to see what the end result of this very conflict, this collision between kingdoms truly is. So I would ask that you look with me now at God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word this morning, and please follow along with me in your Bibles as I read of this collision here in Mark chapter 6, again, picking up with verse 14 and reading through verse 29. Hear now the word of our Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For he had married him, because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things, and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and 
pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out. She said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was exceedingly sorry. Yet, because of the oaths, because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner who commanded his head be brought. He went and he beheaded him in prison, and he brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in the tomb. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have this morning to sit before your word, and we pray, Father, that you would clear our hearts and our minds of those many things in this world that distract us. May we give our full undivided attention to your word so that hearing it, knowing it, we may, through the power of your spirit, be transformed by it for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we have witnessed the advancement of this kingdom, kingdom of God here in Mark, I trust that at least a couple of things are becoming more and more clear to us. And especially now that Mark brings in for us this collision of sorts here in Mark chapter 6. I think we see very clearly here that the kingdom of God stands opposed and stands out as being a very different kingdom than the kingdom of this world. First thing that I think we must notice here is that truly, in this collision, we see that this is a war. There is no common ground here between these two kingdoms. They stand opposed to one another. One is rooted in the truth. The other is built upon lies. The kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of self, stands in direct opposition to the kingdom of God. And beloved, I think that we need to see that here, first and foremost, if we are ever to make any sense at all of the placement of these verses, verses 14 through 29. Doesn't it seem odd to you at first glance? I mean, certainly we can see the logical segue here in chapter 6 between Jesus being rejected, Jesus doing the work of the kingdom, and Jesus commissioning his disciples to go forward into the world and spread the message of the kingdom. There has been a logical progression here all along. But why does Mark now go back in a sort of flashback aside to the awful demise of John the Baptist. Why here? 
Jesus told us in chapter chapter 1, Mark told us in chapter 1, of his arrest. However, that's all we have heard about John the Baptist until this seemingly oddly placed text in this narrative of what ultimately happened to John. Beloved, I believe that Mark wants us to see this collision here between these two kingdoms. As the kingdom of God progresses in this world, it is met with resistance. These two kingdoms are colliding here, if you will, upon the body of John the Baptist. And we need to see it. There are two kingdoms here representing two very different responses to the call of Almighty God. And we are seeing this collision, remember, in the context of the disciples going out to do the work of the kingdom of God. There are implications to that work. And I'm going to get to some of those in just a moment. But first, let's make sure we understand what is going on here in this context. Jesus' fame had begun to rise and spread throughout the entirety of the region. We know that at this point he's amassed a rather large following. Word of him is spreading out far and wide. People are taking word of his miraculous activities, his unique teaching and authority, and they're taking it to the regions that lie beyond. And that news is not just making its way to the common people. The fame of Jesus Christ is spreading even into the courts of kings and rulers. His name had made its way even into Herod's courts. Mark shows us just how much confusion still surrounds Jesus Christ and his identity. And I want you to understand, as I say that, he has been very clearly revealed in numerous ways at this point, as the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, as the Savior. His identity was confirmed at his baptism. It was again confirmed in his soundly defeating Satan in the wilderness, in his constant working of miracles throughout that region. Yet for many, his identity was still hazy at best, and so the people, as his fame rises, begin to speculate about who this man from Nazareth truly was. Some thought he was Elijah. We're going to be discussing that particular speculation in just a few weeks when we look together at chapter 9. Others thought that he might be another one of the prophets of, of old. Herod, he hears of Jesus. And he immediately begins to worry that this man was indeed John the Baptist come back from the dead seeking revenge for his wrongful death at Herod's own hands. The point is, there is much confusion surrounding the identity of Jesus Christ. However, we need to see here that though there was certainly confusion as to who he was, everyone realized that something big was indeed happening. Do you notice that? I want you to consider the times of this context. 
400 years of prophetic silence. Prophets were no longer speaking, repeating again and again that oft-repeated phrase of Scripture, Thus saith the Lord. There had been silence. And then John had come. And immediately the people recognized something special in John. They went out to the wilderness to hear him. His message was repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. He, however, worked no miracles. It was not announced by the voice of the Father from heaven saying, This is my well-beloved Son. He was preaching in the wilderness a message of repentance, but he was certainly not in the wilderness defeating Satan there in an act of substitutionary temptation. Now, John was certainly unique, and he turned heads to be sure. We know some even ran to him, seeking repentance and baptism. He was certainly the beginning of something. He was heralding another. However, with Jesus, the fact that something big was happening was beginning to spread as the kingdom progressed as it moved, as it advanced. And we see everyone sort of scrambling now to try and come to grips with who this man Jesus really was. The kingdom of God moves, it advances, and everyone is forced to make some kind of sense of it. And in this narrative before us, we see the way that servants in these two very different kingdoms Respond to the call of the kingdom of God. It's my hope this morning to point out to you just a couple of those things that we see here in these different responses. As we consider our own service in the kingdom of God, Mark wants us to count the cost. And it is in, in that context that we see that the placement of this little aside makes absolutely perfect sense, doesn't it? Beloved, consider John. He is called to take the message of the kingdom to the palace of Herod. And Herod appears to actually like John. He is at the very least intrigued by him. Mark tells us that Herod even feared John. Why? Why would a great ruler like Herod fear John? Why would he fear a, a weird, wild man dressed in camel's hair and a leather belt? Well, Mark tells us because Herod knew that John was a just and holy man. We've talked about it before, beloved. Fear is an actual man's reaction to the whole. And his fear was such that he sought to even protect John from the rage of his wife. You see, John had accused Herod of adultery, and he had accused him of heinous sin in marrying his brother Philip's wife. And it fired up the rage of Herod's wife, Herodias. And she wanted John dead for daring to speak against her morality and her most high majesty. 
so this collision begins to sort of take shape. John answered the call to leave the comfort of this world behind and to courageously speak the truth without compromise. And he did it. Unwavering. And we see in our text that he literally lost his head for it. God's call drives John to give up his life for merely calling for repentance from obvious sin. John, solely by the grace of God, understands his role in this unfolding drama of redemption. It is part of his decrease as he makes way for the very Messiah that he has been declaring or heralding all along. So in John, we see this herald having courage without compromise. Mark wants us to see here that this life, this is life in the kingdom. Courage without compromise. Always answering the call of God because we trust God. There is a cause. We give up self and we gain Christ. We give up clinging to this world and we get the glories of life and the wonderful kingdom of God. John had counted the cost. And he found it to be nothing at all to lay down. John gives up his head in order to gain everything. He gave up his head to force Herod to consider the peril of his own soul. And so in considering this collision, we need to consider then the response of Herod. We know John's response. What about Herod? Well, immediately we see with Herod the opposite. There is no courage without compromise with Herod, is there? No, Herod is certainly challenged by what could have just as easily given in to the very same instant rage that consumed his wife because he too was being insulted. In fact, he was being insulted even more directly in this call to repentance. But we're told that Herod wanted to hear more. He feared this strange holy man. He sought even to preserve him. That is, right up to that time, that he would be called to give up a small piece of his own comfort. A tiny piece of his own rotting little empire. And it's here that we see which kingdom holds his true allegiance. Right? Once again, we find some irony here in Mark. Do you see it? This tawdry scene that ultimately ends John's life really hardly deserves much comment, does it? It's disgusting. It's a scene filled with such depravity that it actually boggles the mind of it. First, in that, in that as this young woman seductively dances before this sinful, wicked leader of the people, that he would be led to offer her up to half his kingdom. Ridiculous in and of itself, right? 
But then consider that this beautiful, young, seductive woman is his stepdaughter. She is also his niece. And somehow, the disgusted, the it factor manages, manages even to go up another notch. It's disgusting. Because sin is hideous. And this is sin in its unmasked awfulness. We need to see it. It's here for a reason. But for her seductive dancing, this fool, Harry, is willing in his undoubted drunkenness to give up half of everything he has. And yet in all his intrigue with John, his fear of John, even his prior working to preserve John's life, when faced with saving face because of his own stupid declaration, he gladly complies to serve up John's head on a platter in order to keep every little piece of his kingdom like nothing else. You see the foolishness there? You get a sense of the irony? In it all. And beloved, the lessons and the applications for you and I here abound, right? First, consider the seductiveness of sin here and what it can lead us to. You can see it here in this contrast. John gives up his head in the world before his comfort in the kingdom of God. Herod is willing to give up his soul to keep his worthy earth his worthless earthly comforts intact. It's exactly what sin does. It promises fulfillment and joy and peace, but it always delivers death and destruction and the complete robbing of any peace at all. Was Herod at peace? Because he chose to keep his earthly comfort in exchange for his own sad, little, pathetic soul? Was he at peace? Very clearly he wasn't. He was even now being terrorized by his own seared conscience at the mere mention of Jesus and his work. And by the time that this man Herod comes face to face with Jesus himself during his trial, being disappointed that Jesus will not show him any magic tricks, this man Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate to die. Say amen. He was restless. He was tortured. He was terrorized. The kingdom of this world had failed to deliver to Herod anything but death. And left him in the dark of all of it. You understand, that's what sin does. That's how seductive sin is. Beloved, do you recognize that fact? Let me personalize it for you. Your sin is seductive. Your pride is seductive. Your anger is seductive. Our wanting to preserve our own puny kingdoms is seductive. 
this world and its comforts are seductive. Sex and this culture of absolute relativity are seductive. Do you recognize that fact in your own life? Do you play fast and loose with sin? Are you playing with fire even this morning? Because this is here for a reason. We need to see it. We need to know the truth. Sin, no matter what it whispers sweetly in your ear, will never lead you closer to relief. It will always drag you far away from it. There's a warning for us here. Do you hear it? Will you heed it? Will we run to King Jesus, even if it costs us everything we have in this life? If we truly belong to him, by his grace, we certainly will. Secondly, we need to see that the gospel, that is the message of the kingdom, is an offense to the world and the kingdom of this world. John spoke the truth in love. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The king is here. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Repent. Run to Jesus. That's the message. And it enraged Herodias. It left Herod ultimately intrigued, but unfortunately not at all changed. And that's difficult, isn't it? Herodias is easy enough for us to deal with, right? She had no real interest in the message, period. She was not intrigued. She was not afraid. She was firmly embedded in the kingdom of this world. And her doom is sure, right? But what about Herod? Surely he was better than her. He was at least intrigued. He was afraid in the face of the holy. Those are good signs, right? Well, ultimately, Herod was unwilling to exchange the kingdom of this world and its false comfort traps for freedom in the big sky kingdom of God. Herod was what we would call short-sighted. He was a fool. And I believe that in this collision of kingdoms, there's another warning for us here, isn't there? Beloved, perhaps you come here week after week. You are intrigued. Maybe even a little bit afraid. Perhaps it's this red-faced preacher that has you puzzled. Perhaps it's the people. And their seeming love for one another. Maybe even love that has been extended towards you. Even for you. You still live secretly on the fence. You still kind of want the best of both worlds, both kingdoms. But the gospel, at the end of the day, is still an offense to you. Because it forces you to see what you really like. It tells you 
that this life really is not all about your tiny little life. It shows you very clearly that your biggest problem does not lie outside of you, but inside of you, in your own heart. Because your sin is the problem. It's not your neighbor's. It opens your eyes to the fact that this world is ruled by Almighty God and your vain search for autonomy is truly a fool's errand. It's an offense. It states very openly that you do not belong to you in this kingdom. The kingdom of the world makes the opposite claim. It says you are the most important thing. It says that if something feels good, then it must be virtuous. You're not that bad. I mean, certainly you're better than some of these, right? Come seek your autonomy in this kingdom and do it on your own terms. We encourage it. Come into this kingdom and find yourself, live for yourself, celebrate yourself, rule yourself. And of course, it's all lies. There is no freedom in the kingdom of this world. Only slavery. Bondage to sin and death. There is no joy, only misery. There is no life only death. It's all just one big lie. And beloved, it's a trap. You find yourself intrigued, but unwilling to yield. You find yourself comforted not in the gospel, but in the nursing of old new grudges. Nursing of disappointments. Nursing of anger that has no real justification. I want you to hear me, beloved. If that is you, you need to take heed this morning. You need to understand your situation. You are exchanging the truth for a lie. And the truth is, you do not have forever to make up your mind. The time of salvation is now. Jesus is calling now. Will you run to him? Will you stay on the fence? Will you continue to cling to a kingdom that really is little more than a complicated ruse? Lipstick on me. Bold promises covering up wicked intentions. It's the kingdom of this world. It's not so in the wonderful kingdom of God. Slaves? Slavery in the kingdom of God? Indeed. But to righteousness. Joy? Yes. Joy unknown. Life? Yes. Resurrected life. In this glorious kingdom, we see the death of death itself. The death of death at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ as he took our sin to the cross and he raised us up in newness of resurrected life. And beloved, as these two kingdoms collide, 
It should become more and more clear which one truly is even a kingdom at all. There's so much for us here. I trust that you will continue to dig in and mine some of this treasure for yourself. And the message of this glorious kingdom that is made so clear in this collision, I'm going to tell you, you're going to see things like the sovereignty of Almighty God in all of its glory. You're going to see the wonderful providence of Almighty God at work, moving heaven and earth for the salvation of His children. You will see the brilliant hope that in this kingdom, it cannot and it will not be stopped or slowed down by anyone or by anything. Nothing can slow its movement as it advances closer and closer and closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. And scripture is full of examples of that. So many have risen up to try and stop the movement of this kingdom. Every single one of them have failed. This kingdom is advancing with certainty towards glory. Herodias tried to end it. She thought with John dead that she would be free of condemnation and she was wrong. She was unsuccessful. Harry tried to fail because this is an unstoppable kingdom God will always advance it he will always preserve it because he has promised that he would do so in his word and he is always faithful beloved does it fill you with hope this morning to think about this because it should because this is the kingdom that Mark is getting before you. This is the kingdom that we are called to. In fact, in this kingdom, we realize that the war is being fought, but it's being fought on the very ground of our hearts. And if we belong to Jesus, though we may feel that battle rage in our flesh, ultimately there is no uncertainty at all about who the victor is. King Jesus has already won. The battle has been fought. It was won at the cross and it was confirmed at the resurrection. You are not yet Do you praise God for that this morning? Do you long for the glory of the consummation of this kingdom? By the grace of God, beloved, I pray that we do. This whole thing is absolutely filled with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. John, an innocent man, gladly gives up his life that the message of the kingdom, the unstoppable kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, would go forth into this world and God's people would be brought home. John himself points us towards the Lord Jesus Christ. His life points us to the life of the one whom he came to announce. Do you see it? Beloved, I pray that we see it. 
I pray that we would all with uplifted heads long for and anticipate the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he will take what is mortal and make it immortal. For he will end the grind of our sanctification and glorify us entirely for eternity where sin and death and sickness and sadness and sorrow will, will no longer exist. We will all stand together in the presence of our King, the triumphant Lamb upon His throne, and we will worship like we have never experienced in this fallen world. That's the hope of this King. Beloved, do you love this King? long for? Do you see the folly of even comparing it with the, the lies of the kingdom of this world? If you see it this morning, then I trust that you do. Brothers and sisters, let us pursue service within this kingdom together with reckless abandon to the glory of our great and mighty King. Amen.